presence, and Pastor Jason is my husband, and uh, I get to share with you this morning while he is away ministering the gospel, and um, what I also think you guys might be interested to know is that not only is he a great pastor, he's a tremendous husband and father, you know why? Because he took all four of my kids with him. Yes, he did. in my life, 
I want to be an exclamation point person in somebody else's life. And then last week, we talked about enthusiasm. Any big task, especially rebuilding, it requires energy and enthusiasm. And if we're not careful, there are lots of things that are going to come in and try and rob our enthusiasm. And there's just a slow leak that happens. So we have to be intentional about keeping up that enthusiasm and keeping up that, that spirit that says, we've got this. Come on. Let's keep at it. You've got it. Come on. All right. All right. We're doing it. Right? In the words of Matthew McConaughey, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> excitement. Got to have some enthusiasm. And so today, this uh, is, is a special, awesome opportunity for me because I, uh, along with Pastor Jason, have really just kind of dug into Nehemiah. And um, I, I feel like God has kind of unlocked some, some cool things, and I want to share that with you. But we're going to just unpack all of chapter 3 today. If you have a Bible, I would love for you to get it open and get to chapter 3. If you have it on your phone, um, I would love for you to check that out as well. There's a great app. I'm always about sharing resources and letting people know what is out there to help them in their uh, walk uh, with God. And it's called Version, and you can download it, and it's got all different translations of the Bible. You can check out reading plans. Um, but get, get some scripture in front of you, if you can. And let's take a look at Nehemiah chapter 3. Okay, so as you're getting there, let me lay a little bit of groundwork for you. Nehemiah gets this vision and, and purpose inside his heart that God wants him to rebuild something. If you don't know a lot about Bible history, this is a big deal. You, you might want to kind of know, well, what happened to get it to this place where it needs to be rebuilt to begin with. So if we kind of flip back just a second, here's the quick Bible rundown. The Old Testament is just this big picture of God loving his chosen people. And we call those people the Jewish people, the Israelites, the Hebrews. Those are all synonymous names for the group of people that God said, you are mine. I love you. I have chosen you. And I want you to be my people. Okay? And so we see this with the patriarchs. Maybe you've heard of them. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are kind of the first... Uh, what we would call Israelites or Hebrews or Jewish people. And, and we get several uh, hundreds of years of history throughout the Old Testament where they're, they're, people, the people are doing one of two things. They're either loving God and obeying Him, or they're completely away from Him and disobeying Him. Okay? And we see this up and down. How many of you feel like maybe that would describe your life? Right? That there's just an up and down. So now I'm, sometimes I'm all about it and God has got me, and then other times I'm struggling and I get distracted and I start worshiping other things. Right? And so the whole message of the Old Testament can parallel our own lives. We get away from God and some not great things happen, and through tragedy and even heartache and tough times, God draws us back to Him. Right? We might not choose for it to be that way, but oftentimes it, it kind of takes some of those struggles for God to nudge us back. You know what I mean? Right? So that's what we see. And, and when we pick up with Nehemiah, again, just to give you a quick kind of background, the Jewish people several generations earlier have been carried away and taken into captivity away from Jerusalem. So you have this city, this area where at one point in time they were all living together, uh, things were going well. This was the time when you might have heard of the kings like Saul and David and Solomon, if any of those names ring a bell. 
Okay, they're all kind of doing, doing their thing in, in Jerusalem. And then they get carried away by other nations, okay, specifically Babylon. And, and they're in captivity, and, and it's been several generations now. So, like, great-great-grandparents, you know, have gotten uh, hauled off after a war. And these people have come up kind of not really knowing much about Jerusalem, not really feeling that connection or valuing God's city the way that their ancestors would have. And all of a sudden, Nehemiah gets word that the city is in ruins. And we have made this parallel the last few weeks that in our own lives, when we take pause and, and take note and, and get a moment of reflection, that there are maybe some things in our own lives when we look up, we see that it's in ruins, right? And so for this week and for this message, I want to kind of parallel what God might be doing in your own life and, and look at this metaphor in Scripture and see how is God rebuilding something that is bigger, that might represent his church and his body of believers, okay? Because the wall of Jerusalem would have been what would have encapsulated and protected and been the, 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 the comfortable, safe place for God's people. Y'all with me? Sound with you. So let's take a look at chapter 3, verse 1. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. Everybody say sheep gate. Okay, so I got to stop right here, right out of the gate, no pun intended, um, and just kind of suggest maybe something to you for a second. The first person that we see going to work is the high priest. For me, that represents pretty obviously the spiritual leaders, the pastors, the priests, the people who um, are trying to set an example for everyone else to follow. And again, if you'll just give me a little bit of allowance this morning, it, I think it's pretty awesome that he was working on the sheep gate. Right. You know why? Because all throughout scripture, we are compared to sheep, right. aren't we? And so what this says to me is that your pastors, you know, we're right in the middle of Pastor Appreciation Month, and we have an incredible team of pastoral leaders, Pastor Kim and Pastor John and Pastor Jason. They have to be concerned with the sheep gate. And in my opinion, that's that front door right there. They have to be concerned with getting access to the flock. Anybody who wants to come through these doors, they have to make sure that it is accessible and that it's functioning properly. Okay, let me give you just some like tangible ways that that, that, that happens. Um, your pastors have to think about things like, uh, do we have services in place for, for people to feel connected? Do we have security happening for our kids so that when those sheep show up, they're safe and they know where they're going and we can take care of their children and their kids? Your pastors have to think about, you know, what does the environment feel like? And does my flock, and is my, are my sheep being fed? Y'all tracking with it? Okay. So that's the job and that's the burden of the priest, of the pastor. we got to make sure that we're responsible for the sheep gate and we're setting the tone. We're modeling that example and showing how it should be done. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hanath. Okay, verse 2. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to him. Okay? 
All right, I'm going to read just a few more verses, and then, and then I'm going to show you something. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimah, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Everybody say, next to him. Meshalem, son of Berechiah, the son of Berechiah. I, I need to write that down as my next son's name. Just kidding. No more, no more babies. No more babies. And next to him, Zadok, son of Dana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Hold on to that verse. We're going to come back to that one. Okay? Let me keep going. Right here. The Jeshna gate was prepared by Jehoiada, son of Pesach, and Meshulam, son of Besedoh. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Everybody say next to them. <laughs> Repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Melatia and Gibeon and Jadon and Maranoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. You do not have to be a biblical scholar or even have the ability to pronounce those names to recognize that lots and lots and lots and lots of people got together. Lots and lots and lots of people were coming together to be about the business of building what was important to God. And that is what I want us to get today, okay? Craig and Kristen, will you guys come up here with me first? Yeah, y'all come on up. So God is rebuilding and doing some pretty awesome things in people's lives, even in Hope City Church. And uh, I wanted to start with Craig and Kristen, and we'll talk to Kristen as well. Um, this family right here, to me, represents, we're going to get to verse 12. Um, it, it says that Shalom, ruler of the Hag district, repaired the next session with the help of his daughters. Here's what that says to me, and this family represents this. It's a family affair. This family right here, and not just as an example, I'm talking like as a true, real, this really happens day to day to day, have set their hearts and their minds to say ministry is a family affair. We're going to bring our daughters, we're going to bring our sons, we're going to all show up together, and it's a family affair. It's not just one, it's not just dad, it's not just mom, and it's not just the kids, it's all of us getting together. God is rebuilding and doing things and has done things in their marriage, has rebuilt and done and, and, and taken things that could have been ruined and, and gotten them to a place where they say, okay, God didn't just fix me so that I can go on my merry little way and say, thanks, awesome, see you later. No, he rebuilds and does something powerful in our own lives so that we can get together and help build something great for the kingdom of God. Right? Kristen, why don't you come over here and stand with them? This is my friend Kristen. Everybody say, hey, Kristen. Kristen, I have a couple of questions for you. I'm going to grab a microphone. I need you to know Kristen because I need you to be reminded that God rebuilds things. And that God is at work doing these types of things as we speak. Kristen, was there a time when your life felt ruined? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Can you give us just a couple of thoughts or sentences about what God has rebuilt that felt ruined? Um, I think pretty much, uh, and, and there's a lot of people in here that know my story of at least this past summer. Um, my mom passed away. Three weeks later, I lost my, I was laid off. And um, then the twins' father and I split up. And so I felt like 
you know, I just, I felt so broken. I was kind of, you know, I was angry, you know, and I didn't understand why. But as soon as I realized that God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself, which was taking away everything that was toxic. And I would have never, I could have never done that on my own. And I realized that that pain, he was like, come, come to me. I'm your father. I will take care of you. You got to come here. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but it takes a lot of pain for me to make changes. <laughs> I'm a little stubborn. So, uh, but now, as soon as I surrendered, he started giving me blessings on top of blessings, on top of blessings. Can you give us some examples of that? We appreciate God's blessings, but help us understand and see that tangibly. Um, I ended up, except I got a job. Um, I start tomorrow. I'm financially, they're, they're treating me better already than my last workplace after 11 years. Um, I am, the relationship that is over, there has, there's a freedom and an inner peace uh, that I've never had before. And uh, sometimes, you know, I, I thought God at first wanted me to fix that. And I, I discerned his voice a little bit wrong, um, but I realized that he just wanted me to understand that if I redefine the word family, then I would realize that I never lost my family. I've got my family Yeah, great kids, you know, family, everything's going great. We both have great jobs, and 
Um, and then God put it on um, our hearts to sell our house and to downsize and to get out of debt, but to put ourselves in a position to be more available for Him by not having being tied down to a lot of other things, like a big mortgage and other things, car payments and whatever. Um, so we're like, okay, God, we'll, we'll trust you. So we sell our house. It sells. I, I don't even actually stick a sign in the yard. It was that easy. It was like we were just doing it. And so God was all over it. We just fell. And then we buy a house that's full of brown recluse spiders. True hundreds. Story. True yeah, story. I, I, hundreds. You can't erase the images I have in my head of these, these things. And they're giant. And I actually thought maybe the University of Louisville might do a case study on it. But um, it was scary. And we thought, what in the world just happened? I'm, I'm now homeless. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. I don't understand this. Um, I'm, we're living in my parent, our parents' basements. We, and they're thinking, you had a great house. What are you doing? Um, and, we're, and we're like, we're, we don't know. And, and we felt like we had been abandoned. We felt like God turned his back on us. We felt like maybe we missed it. Maybe we didn't understand God like we thought we did. And there was anger. So how would you say God has rebuilt pieces of your life? Well, a few houses later, um, we just kept trusting. And, and it wasn't that it was easy. We definitely felt like our walls had been breached. And there needed to be things to, to be rebuilt. And through just patience and trusting God and, and not giving up, um, God has rebuilt a lot of things. We now have another home. Um, but we are this close to being completely debt-free. Uh, meaning that the only debt we have is just this house that we're currently in. But, um, and feeling like, okay, like it's been restored. Um, but then also some just personal things. Um, you know, my wife is now over one year sober. but she grew up very Catholic and that um, led to some things and uh, she addressed it and finally said hey listen um, we don't want this uh, curse of alcoholism on our family anymore and um, she's been awesome and amazing at doing that so God is just like one step after another we've been kicked and hit and our walls have been breached but we've rebuilt them and we've been getting where we're supposed to be Yeah. 
they become the wall. They become the church. They become what is so significant and important about advancing and growing and building the kingdom of God. We have to have you. We have to have you. The sheep gate doesn't mean anything if there isn't a wall supporting it and holding it up. are some of the most dangerous and some of the most pressing. We don't get next to each other, number one, because of fear that you're going to judge my progress or my pace. There are perfume makers and priests and governors and goldsmiths that are working on this wall. All walks of life, all different stations, some of them have more power than others, some of them have more skill sets or different skill sets than others. And if we're not careful, we will not join in to what God is doing because we're worried that the person next to us is going to judge my progress or my pace. You might be able to build your section of the wall faster than me, but that's okay. That's okay. God may have already rebuilt a, a, a ruined part of your life five or ten years ago, but I've just laid the first brick. That's okay. It's okay. Because over and over and over it says, next to him, next to him, next to him, next to him. It took all of their efforts, all of their intentions, all of their skill sets, all of their enthusiasm to do something great. You know what happens when we get next to each other? Two things. Number one, we share the burden. We share the workload. And number two, it goes so much faster. They built a wall in 52 days. 52 days. There is nothing that could not be accomplished in the south end of Louisville if we join arms. Amen? You got to get that. You got to capture that right here. The second reason that we might not want to get next to each other and lock arms and do this thing is because we believe, some of us might honestly believe that we can do it better alone. I do have the skill set to build this wall. I can take it on. I can make this happen. I, I, I'm going to work harder, and I don't need anybody getting in my way. I can do it better alone. Nehemiah could have had that attitude, but that was not what God called him to. God gave him the burden for it, but he knew that he had to have other people come alongside of him. Okay? Don't do it alone. Do not do it alone. We need you. We've got to have you. The third reason that we don't get on board and, and get next to each other is, quite frankly, just immaturity. If you take a look at verse 5, I think that this actually is explained in Nehemiah, and this actually happened. In verse 5, it says, The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under the supervisor. You know that says to me? Some of us have hang-ups with other people's personalities. Some of us refuse to get on board and do what God is calling us to do because we don't like the way that person leads that ministry. I just don't really get along with them, and I don't like the way that they're handling that, so I'm out. I don't want to 
put my shoulder to the work because of my past church experience where somebody let me down. And the, the honest root and, and the only thing that we can address it and call it is immaturity. I guarantee you, with the, just the volume, the mass number of people who were involved in this project, there's no way they all got along. But they had a common purpose and a common vision, a common goal, and they got it done in 52 days. You've got to work through that. You've got to set that aside. You've got to lay that down. Okay? You've you got to ask God, you know, deal with my heart. Help me to, to, to move past my personality conflicts with that person or whatever the case may be. Because we need you. We absolutely need you. Let me tell you what this looks like in, in practical circumstances as we finish out today. You saw the, the human wall that we built up here. Sometimes it really is just giving somebody a hug, coming alongside them, encouraging them with your words. But other ways, here's what it looks like to build God's church. Zach, who is running our media right now, was here for three hours last night setting up. Don Elmore and Zach work every single week behind the scenes, hours, just to have the media that we have on Sunday morning.